Well, it started out like any other day. Morning came, got out of bed, realizing that the the task ahead of him, the same task, the same place, the same chore that he had to do every single day because he really didn't have any other options. So he made his way out of his bed, kind of bumped down the hallway, made his way to the front door, making sure to grab his cloak. And as he walked out to the door, a friend probably met him and, and made his way down to that spot, that same spot that he was at every single day, that he's been at every single day. He put his cloak down and, and, and begin the process. He began to beg. You see, he didn't have any other options, so he'd beg and he would hope that the people that he sees every single day, well, the people that see him every single day, would have mercy on him and maybe throw a few coins in his, in his cloak. This day was going to prove to be different than any other. At that point, Jesus and his disciples start making their way, and he can hear the, the words of the people around him. He could hear the words of the disciples as the disciples started to ask, why is he blind? Was it because of his parents' sin, or was it because of his sin? And he could hear Jesus say, neither, because he knew he'd been blind from birth. He hadn't even done anything, and he came out, and there was blindness. And as he was sitting there begging, this day was going to be different because all of a sudden he heard Jesus walking up to him. He hears him spit onto the ground. What he doesn't hear and what he doesn't see is Jesus then takes up that mud from the spit and the dirt and he begins to rub it on his eyes. And he says to him, I want you to go down to the pool. You know the one. It's not far from here. I want you to go down to the pool and I want you to wash your eyes. Someone helps him and he makes his way over to the pool. And as he goes in and he, and he, he reaches in and he, he splashes his face with water and starts to, to clean off the mud that's been put on his face. Something happens that's never happened before in his entire life. He can see. All of a sudden his eyes open and, and there's the water shimmering there with this light that's reflecting off of it. He's felt the water before. He's heard the water before. But he's never seen the water before. And he begins to look around and take in his surroundings. And he makes his way out. And as he's walking down this street that he's been on before... He's now seeing it for the very first time. People see him as he goes by and they're like, wait, wait, isn't that the blind guy, the beggar that's been sitting out that we've seen forever? Some people say, no, no, it's not him. Some people say, yeah, I think it is. It kind of looks like him. And he speaks up and says, it is, it's me. You're right, I'm the one. They're like, we got to go see the Pharisees. Come on, let's go check this out. So they take him down to the synagogue. They bring him to the Pharisees. And as he comes before the Pharisees, he begins to be peppered with questions. What happened? Who did this? It was this man. They call him Jesus. He spit in the mud. And he put it on my face and told me to, to my eyes. and told me to go wash my, my eyes off. And I washed my eyes. And now all of a sudden I can see. Wait, wait, wait. You can see? He did this today? Today is the Sabbath. Today, whoever did this could not be a sinner. Who do you think he is? I don't know, maybe a prophet. You say you've been blind from birth? Go get his parents. And they drag his parents into the synagogue and they start to question him. Has he been blind from birth? Yes, he has. So what happened? Who did this? Listen, he's old enough to tell you. Ask him yourself. He was there firsthand. So they bring him back in, and he comes in, and they say, okay, again, what happened? Tell us what happened. And he tells them again, he says, I've told you what's happened, and you don't even want to believe me. 
They're like, there's no way that a sinner could do this. We know Jesus to be a sinner. We know him to just be an ordinary guy, and you're telling him, telling us that he's the one that healed you. And he's like, listen, it's kind of interesting. I, I don't know a whole lot about who he is and what's going on. This is what I do know. I know that this morning I was blind, but now I can see. Well, who do you think he is? Who is this Jesus? Shouldn't you know who this is? And at this, they kick him out. Jesus hears that he's been kicked out and what the Pharisees have been asking him and what they've been peppering with. And he, he, he is now face to face with Jesus. And Jesus says, do you believe in the Son of Man? So the man responses, of course, is, well, tell me who the Son of Man is and I'll believe. And he said, those, those eyes that you're using, it's the one you're looking at. It's me. And it says that he praised God and worshiped him in that moment. Pharisees hear this whole exchange going on, and they begin asking and asking questions. Wait, who is this? Who is this? And Jesus turns to them and says, how is it that a blind man can figure this out, and yet you can't? And he begins to imply your the real blind ones in this story, not him. It's interesting, as, as this story kind of unfolds uh, today, Jesus is talking to these Pharisees, and the Pharisees are spending all their time trying to figure out who Jesus is, but the whole time they're trying to figure out who Jesus is, they're definitely wanting to discredit and make sure that, that he is dismissed and not referred to as the Messiah. We want to make sure that Jesus is not able to be known as the Messiah. But in the process, the Messiah is sitting right in front of them. And they are the blind ones and don't even know it. They want to know who Jesus is, but they really don't want to know who Jesus is. I don't know if it's that they, they don't recognize him as this, or if they just don't want, I don't, I don't know if they can't recognize him, or they don't, or they're choosing not to recognize him. But either way, they're trying to figure out who Jesus is and how to discredit him. And so Jesus begins by again revealing something about himself. And that's the story we're going to pick up with today. If you got your Bibles, why don't you turn with me please to John chapter 10. John chapter 10 verses, 1 through 15, uh, verses 7 through 15 is what we're going to look at today. John chapter 10 is where we're going to be at. Jesus, see here at this moment, he's going to shift. He's trying to help them understand and like many of us, he, we need a picture, don't we? We need some words to help me clarify. So Jesus turns to an analogy to help them understand exactly who he is. And he's going to shift now to a sheep and shepherd metaphor to help them understand. Partially because they would understand they get this. Sheep are very common to them. And so this, as we know, is one of the I.N. statements. We talked about this last week. We, we, last week we talked about the bread of life. And you guys voted. And the next one that we're going to do here today that was voted is I am the door of the sheep. Now, you're in luck. 
Uh, the second one was actually, I am the true vine. So we're going to do that next week. But the third place one, close runner-up, was I'm the good shepherd. So here's what you get today. Today I'm going to do a two-for-one special. All right? You're going to get two of these for one. So I'm going to do both the door of the sheep and the good shepherd today. We're going to cover both of those today and look through them. Because they're really tightly interlocked. You really can't. You can separate them, but they really make a lot of sense when you put them together. So that's what we're going to be doing today as we look at these. And what's interesting is he turns today to, to, to this shepherd and this sheep analogy. What ends up happening is, is he's one, he's going to help reveal who he is even more to them and to us, but he's also reprimanding the Pharisees. He's getting on them. And today's going to be really poignant and it's going to sting for them. So we've got these seven IN statements they've looked at. We're shifting to these other ones. Remember that these statements are incredibly important because at the core of these statements, Jesus was revealing that he is the Messiah that they were waiting for. They've been waiting and waiting and waiting for the Messiah to come. He's there. So he wants to make sure that they know this. And um, the other thing that, he, that we know is that Jesus is wanting us to clearly know who he is. He is in his own words describing who he is so that people will know that he is the true Messiah because he does not want us to miss out on the one that was waited on. So, today, John chapter 10, we're going to start with verse 7 and work through verse 15. If you could, grab your Bibles, go ahead and stand with me as we read God's word. John chapter 10, starting with verse 7. It says, Therefore, Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers, but sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to kill and destroy to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. So when he sees a wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. The wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand. And cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know my Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. Father God, today as we are in your word, as we are digging here, I pray, Lord, that you would just reveal yourself to us afresh and anew. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So. Jesus is trying to help them understand who he is. They're trying to make sure that he understands who he's not. And in the process of this, he now goes into this sheep analogy. And as he's going into this sheep analogy, he's picking this very, very intentionally because not only the Pharisees, but everybody that's listening to this are incredibly familiar with the idea of shepherds and sheep. Sheep are very important animals in this culture, especially during the society at this time. And um, they were, we know that they were used for sacrifices. So the, we know that the Pharisees would have totally understand this, understood this. But they're also important for milk, 
for meat, for fat, for wool, and for all sorts of different things. But they would have been certainly familiar with this idea of a sheep and a shepherd. So this analogy would have resonated with them very, very well. So let's get to our first statement for today, our second statement that we're dealing with. I am the gate for the sheep. Now I know on the, on the thing before it said the door of the sheep. That's if you go King James Version, that's what it says in the King James. But in all the other ones it talks about I am the gate for the sheep. Either way, same concept, same type of thing. Jesus here begins to reveal to them uh, exactly who he is. Uh, and he says, I am the gate for the sheep. Now, there's some things that he's saying. Is really, the first thing revealing is Jesus is revealing that the only way to God, excuse me, the only way to get into God's sheepfold or his flock or his family is through him. Jesus is trying to make sure they understand that he is the only way that you can get into that. He says, I am the gate for the sheep. Whoever enters through me will be saved, is what he says in verse 7, what he says in verse 9. And so what happens is, 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 as they would be listening to this, they would have a picture, an image would pop in their head, and it would have looked something like this. This right here is a sheepfold. Uh, out in the, in the places where they would graze, there were these in different places depending on the size of your flock. And what would happen is, is in the evening, at night, they would lead the sheep into this walled off, this stone walled off area, and the sheep would go in. And they could lay, they, can, uh, they could eat some of the grass, they could sleep, and they wouldn't have to worry about predators thieves or anything else getting in and getting at them. And as you see here at the opening here, there's an opening that they go in and out. And if you notice, most of the time there was not a gate. And what happens is the shepherd would actually sit or lay right in that area to protect those sheep. Two different types of protection would take place. One, it would protect the sheep from wandering out. Because if the sheep would wander out, they could be in trouble. They could go out and they could get eaten by animals. They could go out and be stolen by thieves or robbers. They could go out and eat things that they weren't supposed to eat. I even saw a video of one sheep one time that, that he just got flipped on his back and got stuck on his back. And if you're stuck on your back and you can't get up as a sheep, you don't have a lifeline thing where you go, help, I've fallen and I can't get up. You don't do that. But what you do is the shepherd comes by and the shepherd would have to do that. Well, if you're out there on your own doing that, you would be dangerous, it would be dangerous for you and you could die. And so they, it would protect them from wandering out, but it would also protect anybody from being able to get in. Because nobody could get in, nobody could come out except through the gate, except through the shepherd that was right there in the gap. So Jesus is saying, I am that shepherd that is sitting right here. I am that nobody gets into my flock except through me. You want to get into my sheep? You want to become a part of my, you want to get into my sheepfold? You want to become a part of my family? You want to be, be in there? And it also represents the safety and that, that relationship that we have with God. You want to get into that? I'm the only way. So he's painting this picture to them because this also sits in stark contrast to what the Pharisees were teaching. So if you looked at the Pharisees and what they were teaching, what's happening is that they were teaching that in order to have a right relationship with God, it was about rules. You have to follow all of these laws down to the T. You want to be in right relationship with God? Well, there's these sacrifices that need to be made. You want to be in right relationship with God? There's things that you have to do. There's offerings that have to be made. There was, it, it, this, this idea of being in a relationship with God, and especially in a right relationship with God, was reduced to these things that they had to do. And Jesus is coming along and saying, no, 
you want to be in right relationship with God? I'm the way to that. I am the way for you to get into a right relationship with God. I am going to be, you know, those sacrifices they're talking about, I'm going to be the sacrifice once and for all. I am going to be the way to the Father. And this obviously sets up what we've talked about for several weeks, for quite a few weeks in our Way Truth Life series. It sets up what he says in John 14 where he says, I am the way, I am the truth and the life. So this is kind of the, this is where he's getting ready to, to, to hammer home that idea that it is only through me. There is no other way. Because you can see he's running contradictory to what the Pharisees are saying. But then it begs us to ask that question as we know Jesus, as we look at who Jesus is, as we have our relationships with Jesus, do we understand, do you understand, do we understand that he's the only way? Because it's interesting how even now where we know that he's the only way, there are sometimes we don't act like he's the only way. Sometimes we, we, we reduce it to if we can just fulfill our duties as a Christian if I can just do the things, if I can just show up to church, if I just watch online, if I read my Bible, if I do these things, then I will be in a right relationship with God. And that's not true. Well, if I just give my offerings, if I just sacrifice this or that, then I'll be in. No, no, that's not how it works. There's nothing that we can do. There's nothing that we can say. There's no prayer that we can pray. There's nothing that we can do to put ourselves in right standing with God. The only way that happens is by grace through faith in Christ. By grace through faith in Christ. That's it. That's the only way. He is the only way in to be a part of the family. And I love this. I love this idea. Because this is not something that we have to earn or buy or pay for. You know what it is? It's a free gift of God. There aren't a lot of things that are free these days, right? In fact, when you hear that something is free, you're always like, all right, what's the catch? It's free, but you have to buy 18,000 of these. So it's actually going to cost you quite a bit. But it's a free gift to anyone who would believe. Anybody who will put their faith in Jesus, that is the way into a right relationship with him. I love that. And it's important that we understand that because there are other churches, there are other religions, there are other schools of thought that are out there that are saying, well, the way to a right relationship is you have to go through these rituals. You have to pray this prayer. You have to do this many of this and you have to do some of that. You have to make sure that you offer this offering. You need to light this candle. You need to do this work. You need to earn your... Mm. As soon as we hear that, as soon as it's reduced to works or something that we can do to make it right, that's false teaching. And we need to be able to sniff that out. It's important that we know that. Otherwise, it reduces our existence to just trying to make him happy with us. It doesn't work. It's futile. Now, make no mistake, he's given us laws. He's given us commandments, right? He's told us how he wants us to live. He, he's explained this and did this. But well, what happens is, is, is we don't do those things to earn that relationship with him. No, we have that relationship with him because we've entered through the way, through Jesus. But rather now, we do those things out of a response to the amazing love of God. Because of this relationship, things change and we do things differently. Not to earn or to please, but we do it because we love. It's a loving response. So what we do matters. But our motivation for what we do really matters. 
All right. Second thing that he responds, the second thing that he's revealing in this first part here is Jesus is revealing that he came to offer us life. We have the very, 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 very famous, right? This is the famous one. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Here in this moment, what is he referring to? He's referring to his sheep that are in that fold, and what he's doing is protecting them, and you can't get in there. I'm the only way. I'm the one that's going to protect them because the thief wants to get in there and steal, kill, and destroy. He says, but I've come that they would have life. That as they enter through me and they're in right relation with God, that they would experience real life. And what's interesting is, is I have looked at this and preached on this for so many years. When I've read this, I've always thought, oh, that's Satan, right? That's the enemy. That's not who they're talking, who Jesus is talking about. You know who, you know who the, the thieves are? It's the Pharisees. That's who he's talking to in this moment. When he's talking there and he's giving this analogy, he's looking these Pharisees square in the eye and says, the thieves have come to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you would have life. See, what's happened is, is this life that, that has come because of the Pharisees being in charge has not been real life. You know what it's been? It's been something that has stolen their joy, stolen real life. It is it's killed their joy. It's killed their real life. He, the, the thief that has come to steal, kill, it's destroyed. It's, not, it's, it's destroyed what this was always supposed to be about, which is a relationship with God. Going all the way back into Genesis, we look at what they do in the garden. As in the cool of the day, what was happening? They were interacting. They were meant to. We were meant to. We were created to be in this relationship with God. And then sin, break gone and now we've been trying to get back into this and Jesus is like I'm the way back so that you can be in relationship but Pharisees you've gotten this wrong now make no mistake this totally applies to Satan right he's totally a thief he is totally the enemy he is definitely has come his mission is to steal kill and destroy but in context they're talking to the Pharisees in this moment which is fascinating to me I like it when I learn new things so, Jesus emphasized this relationship with him way over, over rules or anything else like that. So, it just kind of makes us have to then stop and go, how's our life going? How's your life? How's your life? Do you feel like you're experiencing real life? He says, I've come that they may have it and have it to the full. This full is, not, is talking about an abundance, an overflowing amount of, of greatness of life. But it also points beyond this, by the way. As you look at the, the, the Greek that, that is from this, he actually is pointing to beyond life. It is life beyond. It's not just the life here and now. It is eternal life. So he's not just saying, hey, things are going to be good while you're on earth if you come to me. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, I have come that you would have real, true, significant, meaningful life. You're going to be in relationship with me. We are going to do life together. But the beautiful thing is when this short, tiny life span is done, you will get to spend eternity with me in a place where there will be no more tears. I will wipe away every tears. There will be no more brokenness. There will be no more sin. There'll be no more dementia. There'll be no more cancer. There'll be no more death. I will be there. You get to be in relationship with me forever. This is what Jesus is offering here. And what the Pharisees were doing was not leading them to that. But what Jesus came to do was to lead them to that and to bring that to them. Are you experiencing full 
life? Are you living life in relationship with God? Or do you just come visit him on Sunday? Do you work him into your schedule when you got a chance? Maybe on a Thursday morning, uh, maybe you pray because on your way to work, you ran that light or we're going a little fast and there's lights flashing and now you're like, oh, my prayer life's kicking in. Listen, God doesn't want you to just visit him on Sunday. He wants to be part of your everyday living, breathing, going to work, going to school, relationships, brokenness, hurt, pain, joy, ecstasy, everything. God wants to be part of all of our life. That's why he says that in Romans. I'm going to be part of your everyday life. That's why I've come. I've come to bring you life and bring it to the absolute fullest. But the only way to experience that, through Jesus. There's no other way to experience that. So, statement number three. I am the good shepherd is his next one. I am the good shepherd. So, what is Jesus revealing as he gets into this now, this next statement? Is he saying, I'm the good shepherd? What is he revealing in this part of this passage? Well, we know that what Jesus is revealing is, is he's revealing that he is the Messiah. First of all, above everything else, he is revealing that he is the Messiah. In fact, in Psalm 23, David refers to God as his shepherd. Okay, the, the Lord as his shepherd. We know this in the 23rd Psalm, right? The Lord is my shepherd. So he's like, so God, they, he identifies God. David identifies God as shepherd. And, and, and what does Jesus do? Jesus comes along and says, I am the good shepherd. Not elevating himself above God like, well, he's the shepherd. I'm the good shepherd. No, he's saying, I'm, he's identifying, connecting himself with God, saying, I am the one. This is fulfilling prophecy. I am the one you've been waiting for. I am God incarnate. I am the one that has come down here for you. I'm the one you've been waiting for. I am the Messiah. It's a big deal. As he links himself to God. The other thing that he talks about, that he's revealing about himself, Jesus is revealing that he is the good shepherd as opposed to the bad shepherds. Okay? He is comparing and contrasting himself with bad shepherds. Now, the bad shepherds are the Pharisees, of course. If you look at this and you look at this passage, Jesus is calling out the Pharisees and saying to them, I am the good shepherd you're the bad shepherds. As he uses this analogy, as they are trying to understand this, he is calling them out, and he's going to unpack with them what it means to be the good shepherd. But before he gets to that, he wants to point out what it means to be a bad shepherd. He's letting the Israelites here know that, hey, I'm not going to abandon my sheep. I'll never abandon my sheep. The bad shepherd, oh, the hired hand, what has going to happen is whenever the wolves show up, the bad shepherds are going to bail. Why? they don't really care about the sheep. The bad shepherds are there for themselves. They're thinking about their own safety, their own personal self, more than they are thinking about the flock, which is what the Israelites were to them. A hired hand wouldn't. Hired hand is, is, is interested in wages, interested in himself, but not a sheep. And if you look at the lives of the Pharisees, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they were both, you know what they were interested in? Power. Control. Especially the Sadducees, they were really interested in money because their job as Sadducees, they, they're part of the Sanhedrin. They wanted to keep things good with the Romans. They wanted to make sure that, that everything was cool with them and they wanted to make sure there wasn't any conflict. And so the Romans loved this. So the Romans actually were paying the Sadducees and giving them money and favors under the table so that they would kind of keep things in line. And so Jesus comes along, and he's talking about this new kingdom and all these things. And what happens is it's conflicting with what the Sadducees were doing. And he's saying, um, uh, 
The Sadducees wouldn't have liked Jesus because they were messing with his power. And this is what, these, this is what the Pharisees were all about. You see, Jesus has gone between the, the, the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament. You've got these 400 years of silence where there is no speaking. God doesn't speak to us anymore for 400 years. And in the middle of that, who's in charge? Who's left in charge? Who's left to guide the sheep? Who's left to shepherd the, the flock? You know who is? The Pharisees. And what happens during that time is they make it all about these rules, these sacrifices, these things. It's why when Jesus goes into the temple and he starts flipping tables over, because he's like, see, look what you've reduced this to. Good grief, people. I think he was a little more upset than that. But why? Because, goodness, this is what I've come for. You've been bad shepherds. You were left in charge. And you abandoned your people. He's indicting the Pharisees on abandoning the sheep. And what's interesting, this idea, this concept of being the shepherd would be the concept like of, of a, royal, a royal caretaker of God's people. It's going back all the way to the kings uh, and, and through and beyond. They were to be these royal caretakers of, of, of God's people. And the shepherds were supposed to lead God's people into a right relationship with God. And the Pharisees failed to do this. God sent Jesus the Messiah, to not only lead them into a right relationship with God, but to be the way to that right relationship with God. He didn't just come to show them and point them the way. He came to be the way. He came to be the good shepherd. Let me show you what this is all about. Let me not only lead you properly, but let me, I'm going to be the way for you to be in that right relationship with God. Which leads us to the next thing that he's revealing. And the next thing he's revealing is this. Is Jesus revealing his sacrificial love for his people. He's revealing just how deep and wide the love of God is. I'm not willing to talk about how much I love you. I'm going to show you my love. I am the good shepherd and I will lay down my life for my sheep. What's happening in this, he's, he's revealing and he's, he's foreshadowing what he's about to do. He's about to go to the cross. He's going to go to the cross and give his life as that sacrifice once and for all. For all. And he is pointing towards that what's going to happen. He is going to lay down his life for his sheep. And who are his sheep? It's always been the Israelites. These Jews have always been a part of it. But now through Christ what's going to happen is there is no longer Jew or Gentile. Everybody can be a part of the family. Make, make no mistake, everybody is not God's sheep. Everybody is not God's sheep. But everybody and anybody who comes by grace through faith through Jesus becomes a part of his sheep. You can join the family. Most of us aren't, they don't start there. You join this. You become a part of it. You enter into the sheepfold through Christ. And we enter into right relationship with him. But by grace, through faith, in Christ alone, that's the only way. But it's for Jews, it's for Gentiles, it's for anyone and everyone. What's interesting I found and discovered as I was doing some research on this is that shepherds actually were willing to sacrifice their own comfort, but they were actually never expected to die for their sheep. I had this picture of, the, he starts talking about the good shepherd would lay down their life for the sheep, and they're like, oh, yes, all good shepherds would go out there and they, they'll give their life for their sheep. Not the expectation. 
The expectation of a shepherd going out to hang out with this flock is to take care of them if things got too hairy. Listen, uh, better to come back and shepherd another day than to lose my life for it. I'm not going to do that. So it's actually not the expectation. Jesus saying, not only am I the good shepherd, I'm different. I'm the best shepherd. A hired hand's going to bolt. We already know that they're going to abandon their sheep. We know a good one will sit and kind of fight it out and try to make sure that they're safe and, and, and do this. But there's still this, not this expectation that they're going to go die for their sheep. And yet our shepherd says, I love you so much that I'm going to give my life for you. I'm going to give everything. It tells us in Romans 5.8, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Before we knew we needed a Savior, before we even understood our own depravity and brokenness, before we knew he was already making the move, he made the first move. We didn't. And it's only by grace, as we learn through our series, it's by grace, that prevenient grace that allows us then to step into that. And to come to him. That's why when we say by grace through faith, that grace is that prevenient grace that works in us. That allows us to respond to his great love for us. But make no mistake, he's trying to help them understand, I'm going to give everything for you. I'm going to be willing to die for you. It shows the depth of his love for his sheep. Is this strange, weird question? Can I ask you this today, though? Do you know that God loves you? Do, do you know that? Do you understand that? That he loves you? Because right now, I, I guarantee you, you could list off all the reasons why he shouldn't, right? You can tell him, and you could list off, and you're thinking already. Some of you right now, it, it controls you. In fact, you, don't, you don't, can't receive God's love in your life because you're still looking at the things about you as a sheep that you're just going, I'm, I, you don't know what I've done. You don't know the ways that I've wandered off. You don't understand the things I've consumed. You don't, you don't understand who I've been. I've been stuck in my back. I can't, you don't understand. I mean, I get that he loves people, but me? I hope you hear this today, please. God showed his love by dying for us. You are worth it to him. You may have lots of voices and people and things and, and even your own internal dialogue may be telling you how you're not worth it. But the good shepherd says you and I go after even the one who wanders off. That's the depth of his love for us today. Do you know? This is the kind of love that God has for us. Who's willing to sacrifice for us. Okay, the last thing. The last thing that he's revealing through this is this. Jesus is revealing the personal and intimate nature of his relationship with his sheep. The personal and intimate nature of his relationship with sheep. It's funny, as you look through the church over the years, there have been massive amounts of seasons where relationship with God was very distant, very cold, very disconnected. And those are very much not what Jesus 
is helping us understand. You look at the nature of the relationship that we are to have with him, it is supposed to be a personal and intimate relationship. What does he say in verse 14? He says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. And then in verse 3 to 4, if you go back, back a little bit, we didn't read that this morning, but, but if you backtrack just a little bit, he says the sheep listen to his voice, the good shepherd's voice. The sheep listen to the good shepherd's voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. His sheep follow him because they know his voice, but they will never follow a stranger. Our relationship with Jesus is intended to be personal and intimate. There's a couple of things that we need to understand. First of all, is we need to know that, that Jesus knows his sheep, and his sheep know him. I want to back up to this real quick. It's both the word no, if you're filling in the blanks. It's both the word no. You got that, do that. I'm going to go back to scripture here, okay? But he says, I'm the good shepherd. He says, I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. This is a cool illustration he's trying to help us understand. The good shepherd could account for every single one of his sheep. A good shepherd, not just the good shepherd, a good shepherd could account for every single one of his sheep. And he calls them by name. He knows their names. There's a lady by the name of Margaret Feinberg, and she writes this uh, book called Scouting the Divine. And she went out and spent some time with a shepherd. And as she spent some time with the shepherd, she asked her, she said, okay, so I'm hearing, and she showed her this passage of scripture. He, I know my sheep, my sheep know me. He called him by name. He's like, is that, she goes, oh, yeah. It's true. It's like, wait, 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 really? You know these names. She said there was this, this, this field that was peppered with, with all these different white flocks of, of, and the shepherd started going down and saying, that's this sheep. That's her name. That's this one. Oh, right over there. That's this one. And not only did she know the name of each and every one of the sheep, she also knew all the peculiarities of that sheep. She knew the needs. She knew the tendencies. She understood the personalities of every single one of those sheep. And she treated them accordingly. Sometimes they needed a firm hand and needed correction so they wouldn't turn into bad sheep. Because a bad sheep doesn't follow the shepherd. And if a bad sheep doesn't follow the shepherd, what ends up happening? You get in trouble and you could die. So in order to help you, there's correction, there's discipline. There's some sheep that are prone to wander off. There's some sheep that she said love to eat. This sheep loves to eat. This thing will eat anything and everything, and sometimes they'll eat things. So i got to make sure we keep this one here. And, and this one here is the leader, man. This is a mama sheep, and this is the baby sheep. And so she's got names for all these different ones. I wish I could come. I don't know the sheep, so I don't know their names. But she knew every single one of them. She's like, are you serious? She's like, yeah. She knew their names, she knew their personalities, she knew the names of their sheep. Guess what? Jesus knows us the exact same way. He knows us. He knows you. I love this. And it says he, he, he knows us by name even. He knows who you are. He knows your name. You're not parishioner number 71324 from Bakersfield, California. He knows you. He gets your name. He knows you, Josh knows your name. He knows what's on your heart today. He knows the things that make you excited and make you woohoo, and he knows the things that weigh you down. He knows the way that your wife drives you nuts, you know? He gets it. He knows us. He knows you by name. He knows every single one of us today. Charles, he knows today. He knows about the vertigo that you're going through. He knows the, the, the challenges that you are. He knows what you need to be careful about, and he loves you, and he gets that. He knows our names. He understands who we are. 
He knows you, Dorothy. He knows that on this Father's Day, you're thinking about your husband who you lost. And you're thinking about your daddy who you lost even longer before that. And he knows the heartache and how it weighs heavy on you and how grateful you are that you had them in your life, but oh, how you wish you could have one more day. Dorothy, he knows you. He knows us, which is exciting, isn't it? You're like, he knows me. But then on the other side, you're like, oh, but he knows me. <laughs> Uh-oh. You know, parents, you got this. You know your kids, right? Spouses, you know your spouse. You know your friends. You know, they're you know the things that you need to go, I don't watch out for them. He knows you. That's the intimate nature of this relationship. It's not this cold, distant, he's off there somewhere. He kind of threw the world into existence and said, all right, good luck. I'll see you guys uh, when Jesus comes back. No. He knows you. And then the second part to that I love is that he knows his sheep. Excuse me, that, that not only does he know us, but his sheep know him. See, that's how this relationship is supposed to be. We are supposed to be in such an intimate and personal relationship that we get to learn who Jesus is. He is not hiding himself. He is not keeping us at a hand's distance. He's not like that at all. He's saying, come, do life with me, everyday life. Let's do this together. He wants to be known. He can be known if we want to. And if you want all the details of that, come to the 201 class. It's going to start back up in the fall. And, and we talk about this. How do we grow spiritually? How do we grow into a deeper relationship? That's what we deal with in our 201 class. It is so popular. You want to grow spiritually? You want to know him more? Totally can be done. And yet so often we resign ourselves to the fact that, well, you know, you can't really know him. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you can. He wants to be known. He wants us to know his voice. Uh, I love what it says, that the sheep know his voice, right? I know my sheep, my sheep know me. The sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name. He leads us out. His sheep follow him because they know his voice, and they will never follow a stranger. The sheep are supposed to know his voice so well that they can distinguish his voice from somebody else's voice. The sheep are also supposed to know his voice. Because they know his voice, they trust him and they follow him. Not a stranger. I, I've told the story before, but Margaret Feinberger, she was in this field with this shepherd. She said, do they really follow your voice? She's like, of course they do. So he says, well, would they follow me? And she's like, no, they're not going to follow you. And she's like, well, let's test this out. So Margaret said, this is how I call my sheep. I go, sheep, sheep, sheep. And they hear my voice and they come in. So she goes, okay. She told her how to say the emphasis and everything. And so Margaret gets up there and she says, I stand right there, right here. And she gets up and she goes, sheep, sheep, sheep. And the sheep stop. And they look. And then they go back to grazing. And she's like, what? That's what you, you sure that's what you say? Yeah, that's, that's what I say. That's how I say it. Try it like this. I'll say a little bit more. So she says it, sheep, sheep, sheep. A little more authority in there. And the sheep stop. And they look up. And then they put their heads back down and go back to grazing. She's like, are you serious? She goes, okay, you come over here. Show me how you do it. Because I bet you do something different. She's like, nope. And she walks up. The shepherd comes up and says, sheep, sheep, sheep. And they stop. And they look up. And they begin to file into a line and make their way to her. The sheep know his voice. They can pick it apart. They can tell that it's different. You guys, there's all sorts of times that people talk about the, the Lord speaking to them and encouraging them. 
we need to be to this place where, where we listen to his voice and we understand. Part of what we can understand comes out of this. Because as we read scripture, we know that the voice of God is never going to say anything that is contrary to his nature. The voice of God is never going to say anything that's contrary to scripture. So if you hear the word the Lord saying to you, and it goes contrary to this or contrary to his nature, you can know, first of all, that's not him. But as we spend that intimate time with him, as we spend time on our knees in prayer, as we spend time pouring our hearts and our souls to him on a daily basis, what ends up happening is, is if we will stop, we will start to hear him responding to us. Responding to our cries, to our pleas. And we can know that voice. I've heard people say, I've never heard from God. Cut the noise. If you will cut the noise out, and you'll get in the Word, and you will spend time on your knees, I guarantee you, you will hear His voice. It may take you a while to fully understand it, but you can get to the place where you can pick it out of a crowd. And you will know that you know that you know that God is calling you and leading you. Because sometimes His voice is important to say, don't do that. You know that's the wrong way. I know you're being tempted by that right now. You need to flee from that right now because that's not. Come back to me. There are going to be times when the voice of God will say to you, I know your heart's broken right now. I, I, I know that you just buried your daughter. And I know that that's breaking your heart. And it's breaking mine too. There are going to be times when his voice says to you, I want you to go talk to that person. They're hurting today. You're going to be my hands and feet. Well, there's all sorts of things that come from him as our good shepherd. But make no mistake, this is intended to be an intimate relationship with God where Jesus knows his sheep and his sheep know him. I'm going to wrap this up right now. The band's going to come out and we're going to sing our last song. But I just want to give us an opportunity to respond here to this today. If today you don't know him, but you want to, you can. What is your relationship like with God? What is your relationship right, right with, like with the good shepherd? We, we know that he knows you, but do you know him? Is your relationship with him personal and intimate? And as I'm making these comments, oh, you can already think of the times and the moments when he's been speaking to you and calling you and correcting you, encouraging you. Or is your relationship with him impersonal and distant? You know of the good shepherd. You know of Jesus. But as far as like intimate, are you there? Listen, if you want to enter into a personal relationship with the good shepherd, the one who was willing to lay down his life for you, the one who will never abandon you, the one who will never leave you, the one who will never forsake you, the one who offers life to the fullest, both here and now in the present and for eternity. There's only one way, and that's through Jesus. Just bow your heads with me today and pray. Today, if that's you, today, if you are sitting here and you're saying, I want that intimate, personal relationship with Jesus. 
I want that intimate relationship with my good shepherd. And it's been distant. It's been maybe off. Maybe I've been just distracted by stuff. But today, I want to I, I make it personal. I just want you to slip up your hand. I want to pray for us today. I want to pray for you. If today you'd say, I want to enter in a deeper relationship. I want this to be more intimate. I want to know him. I just want you to raise your hand. Thank you. I see those hands. I see those hands. Let me pray for us today. Father God, you are the good, good father. You are not only the good father, but you are the good shepherd. And you loved us. And you care for us so much that you were willing to send your son to die on the cross for our sins. Lord, today, we thank you for your great love for us. Thank you for being our good shepherd. Thank you for being the way to this right relationship. And, and if there's anybody in this room who is not in a right relationship with God, whether you're at home or whether you're here in the room, it is simply this. God, I believe in you. Jesus, I believe that you are the Messiah. These I am statements resonate with me. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God. I believe that you died on the cross and you rose from the grave for me. Forgive me of my sins. Help me to follow you as a sheep follows his good shepherd or her good shepherd. Lord, help me to follow you well. Lord, whether we just have begun that relationship or we've been on that, on that walk with you, Lord, may we follow you well. Thank you for who you are because it changes everything for us today. In your name we pray. Amen.